0: The Chief of Staff is a hell of a lot cheaper and more available than an executive coach because they're by your side every day and they know sometimes even more information about the company than you do. And so that vulnerability is really important. And if the CEO can commit to that, that mindset uh, upfront, and some of those tactical things, then they can see the benefits from the, the cheapest stuff come in.
1: You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hello, welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I'm your host, Jackie Coke, and today we are diving into a topic that I have getting more and more questions about. I hear the term thrown around in a lot of my friendship circles, and it is the chief of staff role. What is it? Do you need it? How can it help you? All of that stuff, and that's what I'm diving in today. Um, and I have an expert. I have Mackenzie Lee on the show. Um, he is the CEO of at, uh, at Cedar, and he basically has a chief of staff agency. He has over a decade of experience serving C-suite and top executives at Fortune 1,000 companies, growth companies, and startups. He helps executives improve their performance and become extraordinary leaders. Um, He enjoys helping them find the right chief of staff talent to solve tricky business problems and drive quick operational results across the companies. We dive into, uh, we, we actually talk about his new playbook, the chief of staff playbook he just released, which you've got to download. There are so many great nuggets in there. So cannot wait for you to learn a little bit more about what the chief of staff even is, what it does, and if you need it for your business. So let's dive in. Mackenzie, thank you so much for coming on the show. So excited to dig into this topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks,
0: Jackie. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Of course. So I am so excited because I met you on LinkedIn. um, And now I finally have met you um, sort of in real life um, via video. (laughs) Um, And the work that you're doing, I met you because uh, well, I've been following you for a while on LinkedIn actually, um, because you do pro- provide such great content about a chief of staff role. The content you get, you share about that role, I think translates also to a lot of different roles in business as well. So um, I'm sure we'll dive into that, but I started following you for that. And then um, you had mentioned, I think it was last week that you were creating and releasing this playbook um, <laughs> about the, the chief of staff role. And I was like, well I want that um and so I got it and then we just got to talking and I somehow bribed you and well maybe I didn't bribe you but I convinced you to come <laughs> be on my show cuz I want to pick your brain on this topic so for listeners that's how we met and thank you so much for for coming on can you give a quick overview to li- listeners about your background um and and what you do um just so that they can kind of get a little bit of a background as well
0: absolutely so my name is Mackenzie Lee um the CEO at Cedar, and I've over a decade helping leaders uh, perform at their max ability and also to drive performance and growth at their company. Um, I am a multi-hyphenate. I've had a a lot of different things underneath my belt, as you would expect with the chief of staff. I've been an investment analyst, a management consultant, I founded a fintech company, and also was a de facto chief of staff. Um, And so that led me to see the power of this role um, in transforming not only the life of the CEO, but also the company. And uh, I also saw a demand in the market for this role, and so I decided to start a company around delivering on-demand use of staff.
1: That's amazing. So needed. Okay. I have so many questions, but I want to dive <laughs> in first. Okay. The question is... Actually, first, I'm going to give some backstory, and then I'll ask the question. So backstory is, I feel like as I have been working in recruiting and HR, specifically in the world of startups, chief of staff has been a thing that has been talked about, I think, for quite a while in the world of startups. And the the role itself has morphed, has a few different ways that you can leverage it, which I'm sure we'll get into. But what I'm noticing is that I also have um, a lot of friends that, and my peer group are entrepreneurs, and I would classify them more as like digital entrepreneurs. So maybe they have courses or podcasts or that type of a business, and they have a very small team, maybe they have like three or four people. And what you often hear is the word integrator. I don't know if you've read Traction, um, but you know they a lot of these businesses follow that mindset and they're like, you need a visionary and then you need an integrator. And a lot of them are starting to to think the integrator is a chief of staff role in their businesses. So I'm seeing this word come up a lot And this, this, this title come up a lot in those conversations as well, but it's a space that I don't think they actually know what that, what a chief of staff actually means. I know what they think they want it to be, but I don't know that they know what it means when they go out to search for previous chief of staffs. So what I, the question, so that's leading into the question and the question is what in your, how would you define what people think a chief of staff is versus what it actually is?
0: That's a great question. Um, it leads me to think I should write a post about this. You should. <laughs> Absolutely. I think there's such a misconception on what this person uh, could be or is. So maybe people think, hey, it's just a glorified EA and you know, that's maybe like Someone said an EA with a brain, which is, I think, so insulting to EAs, by the way, because EAs are so important.
1: And they're running your business. Like, oh my gosh, I get so pissed off. Don't get me. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, And and by the way, there's a gatekeeper. So if you cross any EA, you know, there's no luck for you in trying to get anything. Um, But people say EA with a brain. People say... um, That's a
1: terrible analogy. I have never heard that. If I heard that, I would lose my mind.
0: I'm not going to name any names, of course. Um, people, you know, outside of the U.S. too, they think it's a HR-specific role. They think it's someone who just manages all of the people. And this probably comes back from the fact that the history behind the term originated within, uh, you know, military or, or government, where they were actually in charge of all the people um, underneath, you know, underneath the general or something like that. Um other other things people think the chief of staff is, um, well honestly they don't know. They just said, I don't know what you do. <laughs> people running around in the company saying, I, I don't know. I think you're just an important person and um you know, you do a bunch of things, but I don't actually know what your outcome is and what your role is. So there's actually a lot of confusion and there's actually no definition in their mind. Right. Um, what else do people say?
1: Those are the two buckets I have, I
0: think. Yeah, I think that's right. And so on the flip side, you know, I say uh, the chief of staff can be you know, five different things. Um, they could be a strategic advisor to the CEO. That's number one. They could be a trusted confidant, number two. They could be a CEO proxy to make decisions when the CEO is not there. That's number three. And that's special cases. Uh, number four, they're like a master organizer. They can track every strategic initiative to close. They can tr- handle all the balls um, that are in the air. Uh, Number five, sometimes they double as a communications director for the CEO, drafting speeches or helping them create a pitch deck for investors, everything related to preparation for meetings. And then um, the last one, which is cheeky, I saw someone use a term chief change agent. Um, And I kind of love that term because it actually has the word chief in it again. You know, it's it's elevating the chief of staff to that C-suite level. And uh, really, they are trying to enact change. They are trying to drive an outcome across the company uh, in the same way that the CEO would you know cross functionally
1: yeah, I agree with you. one hundred percent on all of those things. Thank you for sharing. Um, in your playbook you you talk about the the role of a chief of staff or the goal of a chief of staff like I know you just shared some of the roles that they do but you you, you talk about kind of the goals like I remember reading like it's a force multiplier can you go through what some of those like why I guess my more, more of the question would be like what state should your business be in maybe is the better question for you to start thinking about bringing in a chief of staff and and let's start there um, and then I'll go into my other question because I feel like this will flow into that.
0: Yeah, there's different ways to think about it. I, I have a uh, section around what are the triggers which would lead a CEO to take on a chief of staff? And then beyond the triggers, what are the warning signs that a CEO should, you know, ring the bell and, and bring in a chief of staff? So on the triggers, sometimes um, maybe the CEO is new to the company. They've just been hired in. And they don't know anyone. They don't have any relationships. (laughs) They don't know where the bodies are buried. So that's where they can bring in a chief of staff. And maybe they have a new mandate from their board or investors that they have to go into a new market or whatever it might be. Um, The chief of staff can enable them to enact that change management, that vision. Uh, Another trigger is maybe they're new to the CEO seat itself. They've never been a CEO before. They need some help. Um, They have an executive coach. But the executive coach is only maybe available every two weeks. Uh, they need someone who's a steady hand um, to be right there with them. Another example, too, particularly with technical co-founders, uh, maybe they don't have a classically trained education in business. They've been really successful being an engineering, you know, individual contributor, manager, leader, CTO, whatever it might be. But they don't have maybe the, again the, the education that a McKinsey analyst would have, right? So that's where they could bring in a chief of staff to complement their skill set. Um, and there's probably four other triggers. So I won't get into it. And then on the warning signs, I think that's interesting because it's like, when, when does it feel really bad that the CEO should like raise their hand and need some help? It's when you look at their calendar link and there's no slots available. <laughs> you look at their calendar and it's wall-to-wall, back-to-back. Uh, there's literally not even a bio break you know, written into the schedule. It's literally no, uh, no space on the calendar. Um, when obviously their to-do list is way too long and they, you know, what's the point of to-do list if like things actually don't come off the list? Another thing too is when, um, again, the company size is getting bigger. So that's another thing I think you were hitting on. It's like, what are the, what are the components of the environment? When, you know, when you think about like just human beings um, and how hard it is to connect with each other all the time, you know, five people, yeah, you kind of know what's going on in each other's lives, right? Um, when you get to around 10, it's getting a little more painful um, and then when you get to 15 and 20 and you have new people coming on because they've been onboarded, that's really where communication and collaborat- collaboration starts to break down if there aren't strong norms. And that's where a chief of staff can come in, um, establish some of those norms around communication, provide the glue, be the integrator, be the communicator, promote cross-functional um, work. That's that's another that's another trigger. Um, so those are some warning signs. Those are some triggers to think about uh, to bring on a chief of staff.
1: And I want to highlight something that you mentioned about the calendar being full. It's a warning sign because that means there's too much work going on that's not getting done. It's not a warning sign of, oh, I need someone to take better control of managing my calendar. It's like the idea is when you look at that, it's like you have too much shit on the calendar. Like I need to you need somebody else taking these meetings for you, like bubbling up the information to you so that you can make decisions. It's not about like, I need an EA to make sure my calendar isn't getting so overwhelmed. Um, I would, I would just want to clarify that because I don't know that listeners um, maybe can make that distinction.
0: That's really helpful. I I think it would, it uh, gets back down to, it's like around accountability and responsibility. The CEO can be accountable for a lot of things, but doesn't have to be responsible for executing all these things. They can delegate, right? And they should be delegating all the time. Um, they can delegate to the chief of staff or to their business unit leaders, whatever it might be. And like you said, the key decisions and actions can be bubbled up. And, you know, all that work can be abstracted out of the mindshare of the chief of the CEO. So they can focus on other things that are key to them. Um, and, I, I write about the zone of genius um, in my playbook. And I think this applies to anyone who's a worker anywhere. <laughs> but it's really trying to find your zone of genius is the stuff that you're good at and you want to be doing. It's a high-skill, high-will quadrant. And once a CEO puts a box around those things, then you can take a look at the calendar and say, Hey, is the CEO's you know, uh, spending of time and energy in the right box or not? And if it's not, then let's, let's remove some things from the calendar. Let's delegate again to other, other, other people.
1: What a good exercise, you know, to, to do, even if you, if, if you're in a position where you don't need a chief of staff or you don't need an assistant, like such a good exercise to do to determine the next hire you should make in general, that might be a chief of staff that might not, but such a good exercise to do. Um, And I think as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you can relate. There's no shortage of work to do. And all of a sudden you get done with your week and you're like, I didn't spend any time doing the things I'm good at or that I like, you know, and and then you complain about it or you feel like there's no hope in getting out of that. And that's such a great, simple exercise you can do is to map out all of the tasks and then look at your calendar. Isn't there a saying that it's like, give me your bank account and your calendar and I can tell you what your priorities are or something like (laughs) that. Like the same is kind of true you know, for work. So do you think that there's a headcount size at all that determines when is a good time to bring in a chief of staff or, or is that less relevant or a revenue number? Like,
0: yeah, I, I like the people number because again, it gets back to the communication collaboration issue. It also, um, probably is a signal, Hey, you're hiring, you know, and onboarding people, which introduces complexity. Um, so I, you know, typically companies come to me when they're in late stage C and they're about to raise their A because they think, okay, um, I have this A round coming up and I'm going to hire a bunch of people. And by the way, I have to go hire and onboard them and then train them and then get them working in the same culture that we've already established. Um, and also I'll be flushed with cash a little bit more. So that's where really when I can pull the trigger. Um, and, you know, investors will put a question mark, Hey, the seed stage company thinks they're so important that they need a cheapest stop. Maybe that's a red flag. Um, so those are some, some things I think about when I talk to, you know, CEOs and founders, like, Hey, when do I need it? Obviously sizes of seed and sizes of series a range, you know, from big to small. So again, it's really, um, the sniff test I think is like, how big is your team? Do you feel like you're, um, communication and you know, collaboration is breaking down because of you know, some silos or, or lack of information sharing. And I want to mention... Um,
1: so I want to go back to when you started in a few different chief of staff roles. Do you have... Was your experience one where you had a, go- a great experience and a not great experience? I guess, what was your experience like transitioning into that chief of staff role and figuring out I think it's just as much you figure, like if someone steps into a chief of staff role for the first time, it's just as much you figuring out what the role is alongside of you know the CEO. So I just want to get an idea of what that transition was like for you and if you had any learnings along the way.
0: Yeah, and, and so the reality actually was that I never had the title. It was just doing de facto chief of staff activities, which is quite common, actually.
1: Very common. I can tell you a ton of people.
0: Absolutely, I, I meet um, other business leaders who have come to me and DM'd me like, "Hey, you know, I actually realized I was actually a chief of staff or X, Y, Z leader, and um, you know, the body of work that I was doing was very similarly mapped. Never had the title, um, and and I think this is actually a common occurrence. So, so back to your your point around how do how do we both as a principal or a chief of staff, how do you make sense of you know, what do you need to do? I mean, what I say again is, you know, I think back to the zone of genius, like, hey, you know, what's the reason why you're hiring this person at all? Is it because you want them to take on activity A, B, C? They have to have skill X, Y, Z. You know, what, what is the need? What's precipitating this? Um, and then that should actually form the roadmap for the 30, 60, 90 days for the onboarding of the chief of staff. It should be very clear that you're trying to provide immediate relief and value to the principal, the CEO. So say, you know, the CEO needs more support for big deals that they're trying to close. Um, the cheapest staff can take on, you know, like a profile research, like, hey, I'm gonna research, you know, what jack where's Jackie's from and you know what the business is like. You know, very tactical. Um and I also write about this concept of trust. Um typically, you know maybe the the leader and the chief of staff have not really fully worked together in such an intimate manner before. Um, And few people actually have because it's quite, ideally it's quite, uh, it's definitely like a safe space where the CEO can like tell all the problems and the issues to the chief of staff. And so to get to that point, um, there has to be a series of small wins to build trust. And again, that's what I like encourage for the 30, 60, 90 days um, where you can actually execute small mini projects and gain the credibility and trust. Someone else wrote this this great uh, post too. Once you have the trust with the CEO, then you can move on to relationships with the rest of the executive team. So after the CEO trust is gained, um, then you're starting to make relationships with the CPO, the CTO, the COO, whoever it might be. Um, also adopting the same sort of mindset. What's their zone of genius and what are the things that they don't want to be doing? Or maybe the things that they um, have been avoiding, and um, providing support there to gain their their relationships, and then you start to have a really high functioning what I call office of the CEO, where the chief of staff has strong relationships with the CEO and also with the executive team, moving towards a you know a steady state service. Um, but the first you know few days weeks are super critical, as you would imagine. That first impression really matters. Um, and so the sponsorship from the CEO is really important. Communicating from the CEO to the executive team, to the company, hey, Jackie's in this role now. Um, she is amazing. She has all these capabilities. She's going to be working on these very tactical things to start. You can expect her to expand her reach and value to the, um, the rest of the company over the next you know, three to six months. You Let me know if you have any questions. That type of sponsorship is really important because... Um, there's a deliberate intention by the CEO to place this resource next to them as they go you know, about the company.
1: I've always experienced where chief of staffs are often like a stopgap for different problems that are going... Not, not pro, I don't know if problems is the right word, but <laughs> um, you know, a chief of staff, in my experience, knows pretty much everything about business and can figure anything out and is often the stopgap if there's issues going on or um, a lot of times those are kind of the first projects that can get thrown at that role um, is what I've seen. Whether or not that's good or bad, I guess I don't know, but that's how I've seen it utilized.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, I, I make an analogy to the matrix. Um, when Neo's sitting in the chair and downloading uh, you know, a program to fly a helicopter or something like that, because he's never done it before, um, the chief of staff has to go into an unexpected situation, learn the skill, maybe for the first time, and start making that, you know, business area or practice happen and then hand it off to someone who might be coming on. But they are definitely looking at all the gaps within like you know, like a talent map essentially within the organization, seeing where the gaps in the white spaces are. Um, and those white spaces are critical to the business to reach its goals, they are playing that role there in that white space to cover until some, someone comes in.
1: So shifting gears a little bit to um how to hire or start to think about the right type of a person who can fit into that role. Are there set paths that oftentimes can lead someone to move into a chief of staff role? And um, I guess will be the first question.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, when I look at candidate backgrounds, I look at three areas of kind of like hard skills or work experience. I look at a consulting background, an ops background, and a background working in tech. I also look for soft skills like EQ, and I think a healthy dose of EQ has to be added on top. Um, and the reason why for consulting is because it's a very strategic mindset that can break down a problem and come up with solutions um, and present it back to anyone, honestly. The ops background, obviously, because it's a person who's extremely execution uh, you know, focused and knows how to get, drive initiative to close. And then the tech background, tech, tech companies background specifically. Because productivity tools in tech companies and processes usually are better; um, they're more efficient, and so exposure to those tools, you know, will help the chief of staff um, drive more productivity across the org. And then EQ, um, you know, look, you are dealing with the CEO every day, plus maybe the board, investors, executive team, customers, and you know, you know, external PR people, whoever it might be. You have to be able to context switch. Um, at the top of a hat and the CEO needs to be able to trust that you can perform um, in many situations and so that EQ has to be there that executive presence has to be there
1: Typically people who listen to the show are actually I, I don't I think it's a blend of both employees and leaders to be honest but I'm curious I would love to hear your perspective on why moving into a chief of staff role could be good for your career? Like, what does it do for you in your future career goals or, or plans?
0: Yeah, I would just say, you know, if you want to compress 10 years of business work experience into two, like have at it. <laughs> you know, if you had a choice of getting an MBA or working as a chief of staff, I mean, the, the battle scars, the relationships, the actual know-how in a chief of staff position is like 10x. 100 100% so you you get that experience, and then you gain the trust of the CEO. You can go anywhere in the company after. And so the you know the unspoken sometimes, but it's better if it's spoken about. <laughs> the the spoken agreement is that you do your tour of duty, and then you move into a director role in a new business function that of your choosing, um, and that's mapped to your skill set. Um, and so that exit opportunity within the company is really strong. And then I need to do more research, or I need to find it. Where they show chiefs of staff founding companies, the exit path from chief of staff to founding a company is really strong. Obviously, because of the know how, but then the relationships from the investors. You know, they maybe are already interfacing with VCs. They have done the outreach, you know, on behalf of the CEO to I don't know dozens of investors, and so they can go back and you know re- re- reignite those relationships and say, hey, actually. Um, I have the stamp of approval from my CEO. I have the blessing and I have the skill set. And now I'm ask, asking for capital. Um, that type of pipeline, I think, is super strong.
1: So, what I'm hearing is it should be a defined amount of time. You shouldn't just have a chief of I guess, are there career chief of staffers? Like, is that a thing?
0: There is. It's more rare, but I think it's going to become more common. And I have a goal to um, professionalize this specific role. Uh, a little bit more further. And there's someone named Lynn Walder out there who has written a post around titling around chief of staff. And so she advocates, and so do I around adding manager to chief of staff or director chief of staff, VP, SVP, EVP to indicate the seniority of that resource, um, not only to the executive team, um, but also to that chief of staff so that they know how they're leveling up. And um, that should obviously be uh, compensated accordingly, and uh, be motivating for the chief of staff to stay because it actually is quite disruptive for the CEO to actually have to find someone new, and um, they have to be trained, they have to be onboarded, and that trust bond needs to be recreated.
1: Yeah, the titling of the chief of staff role is an interesting one for sure, and, and I do truly think it's it it fills the need for the integrator you know, in the traction mindset or or whatever. Um, And having somebody in that role long-term might be the right fit for your business. It just depends, I think. If you're a business that's scaling and growing, it's almost like, It's obviously a much more sophisticated version of this, but it's like when you have um, in like recent grad programs, right? And you put them on like a tour of duty and they're learning all about the business until they pick the department they want to end up moving into. It's kind of like that, except that's where you're developing your senior leadership talent. Um, And so if you can really get into a great process of having that be, like a formalized thing within your company, if you're scaling and growing, you can build your leadership bench so much easier.
0: Totally. I mean, you're getting firsthand, you know, view, like audience, viewership of the action of this person. And you're able to evaluate their output, like almost immediately. (laughs) Exactly. And then you can motivate them, right? To to stay and by giving them a bigger job. Um, So there's just a lot of virtues, I think, to this, programmatic aspect to have multiple chiefs of staff, you know, definitely within startups, as you're moving from stage to stage, I think there's specialists that can be brought in at different stages. And so, I mean, I was talking to other chiefs of staff, maybe they don't even like, they only like doing from C to B, and then they're out. They don't like doing big company politics. Um, and that's, you know, that's where having multiple chiefs of staff might, might be useful in, in a larger company, maybe like say Pepsi, that's maybe where the chief of staff will stay on on a longer basis uh, because, you know, the relationships will matter and uh, there's less change, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, totally. going
0: on on a, on, a, on, a, on a high level.
1: Oh, I love it. So I guess the last thing I want to dive into is if you are somebody who's listening to the show and you're like, oh, I really need a chief of staff. Actually, I have two questions. So first would be if you're thinking about onboarding a chief of staff, what what do you have to be willing to commit to and doing? because it's a big change in your behavior as a leader to onboard a chief of staff and so you have to be willing to do a number of things for the role to be effective otherwise you just hired somebody that you have to like give work to if you're not going to allow them to do their job so are there any things that you really feel like CEOs need to be willing to do and change about themselves and how they've been doing things <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it first starts with mindset. It's like, hey, you know, are you open to doing things a different way? Uh, Because if you're going to do them the same way, then there's no point in bringing on the chief of staff. Like I said earlier, are you willing to sponsor and communicate that sponsorship to your team that you're bringing on this resource? Um, Are you also willing to have a partnership around what that 30, 60, 90 days looks like um, and have a repeated conversation around that? You know, are you willing to actually be vulnerable to this chief of staff and actually tell them your problems? The chief of staff is a hell of a lot cheaper and more available than an executive coach because they're by your side every day and they know sometimes even more information about the company than you do. And so that vulnerability is really important. And if the CEO can commit to that that mindset uh, upfront um, and some of those tactical things. Um, then they can see the benefits from the the chief of staff come in.
1: And then selfishly, I have a lot of clients that I would argue need a chief of staff, and I've been unsuccessful in selling it. How do I sell that to them? Tell, give me some, get help me, help me sell them on why they need this job.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I write about this in the playbook. It's like overcoming the CEO objection to the chief of staff, and. You know, oh, okay. I haven't saying, gotten that
1: far. I gotta get yeah. into. I gotta <laughs> read that. I gotta memorize it.
0: So, you know, sometimes I say, "Oh, I can just do this myself." Like, why do I need to bring someone in? You know, and uh, you know, I, I bring it back down to the zone of genius, or even the concept of having fun. I'm just like, do you want to be doing everything? Um, do you want to only focus on the things that give you energy back that are high priority, um, or do you want to slog it through? And by the way, the more you grow and the more your problems become bigger and bigger, um, it's going to become harder and harder. You're going to sleep less and less. So, you know, do yourself a favor. Um, the first step is admitting that you have a problem, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use this approach with at least one client. I know who, <laughs> Yeah, see,
0: let me know what, if it works. Um, and then, you know, helping them, you know, come around and I probably write about it a little more succinctly in, in that playbook, but, uh you know, that's kind of like the talk track that I use.
1: Great. Okay. I'm going to read it. I'm going to test it and I'll shoot you a, a LinkedIn me message out. and let you know how it goes. Totally. Um, I'll be like, damn it, Mackenzie, I didn't win it. Like what else? <laughs> and we, we can, we can pitch it together. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing for this role. I think it's going to, especially in the world of remote work, this role becomes even more critical, which we did not even get into, but, Ugh, we, you should, we should, you should write a post about that if you haven't. And, um, we should have a follow-up conversation about that because I think so many people are like, Oh, remote work is great. And they have no way of actually doing it well. And the chief of staff role, I think can be clutch in helping make that better. So all of that to say, where can listeners, where can listeners download your playbook? Where can they learn from you? Um, give them the goods.
0: Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, connect and follow me, uh, Mackenzie Lee, and you can visit my website at www.cedarchief.com. You can find me on Twitter, SnackTrackMac is my handle.
1: Oh, I I thought that was a new social media platform. I'm like, what is that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has a ring to it. It does. And um, I'm starting a newsletter on Beehive, um, which is called the Cheapest Staff Playbook, which is just going to be an extension of this ebook that I just published. So find me there.
1: Well, I'm excited for you and, um, listeners definitely download this playbook. It, there's a so much, a wealth of information in there. So thank you to you, Mackenzie, for the, the blood, sweat, many years of tears. I imagine it took you to write that playbook. I think you're, you're helping people, um, start, get get a head start. So thank you so much for that. Um, and listeners, thanks for tuning into the show and we'll chat with you again
0: very soon. Thanks so much, Jackie.
1: of the power of people, I'd be honored to read your written review of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard and have suggestions on how to make this show more impactful, please show your support by taking a few minutes to let me know what you think. See you next time.